Well, good morning once again and Merry Christmas. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2 for the reading. Luke chapter 2, and we will go from verse 8 to verse 20. Following uh, the, the narrative there in verses uh, 1 through 7, talking about the birth of the... So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20, the, God's word says... And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father God, I ask simply that you wouldn't let us live through another Christmas season and all that that season stands for without being profoundly impacted and changed by it, God. Lord, I pray that we can meditate on these uh, familiar truths and still see them as beautiful truths, increasingly beautiful truths, even though we have likely heard them many, time, many times before. God, I pray that your glory would shine down, that your truth would, would ring in our hearts and in our ears. And I pray that through that you would save sinners. If there are any who have not trusted in you in this congregation. And I pray that you would grow your saints. Those who have already trusted in you, Lord. Grow them in, in the knowledge of your love and of your grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Does anyone know what I'm holding in my hands here? Can you see these? No, they're not Christmas cards. That's a good guess. I like it. This is probably the season for Christmas cards. These are birth announcements. These are the birth announcements for my two little girls, our, our little lights. We got um, uh, Eleanor, which is Nora, you know her as, uh, Eleanor here. 
And we got Rosalind here. And birth announcements, I don't know if, uh, how long these have been a thing. I didn't know about them until I became a father, but I'm clueless. So um, th these are just something that people send out to let friends and family and, and co-workers and just people who might care know, hey, the child has been born. And, and usually, you know, it just has some of the most important information. She arrived at 1.20 p.m. June 11th, 2017. You know, she weighed 5 pounds, 15 ounces, and was just over 19 inches long. We, are wel we, we welcome her home with thankfulness and joy. So you just have, like, kind of this, this information. Okay, the child is born. Here's this information about her. Here's her name. Here's, you know, the weight and the height. And we are thankful for her. And that's generally what a, a birth announcement is. And this week, we're looking again at this angelic birth announcement. That's, that's really what this is, is a birth announcement. You have an angel. In the Greek, uh, angelos is the same word as messenger. Um, and so we have this messenger going out to carry this birth announcement to these shepherds. And we, we looked at it last week, um, but I want to look at it again a little more in depth. You know, um, you probably don't see anywhere here in Luke 2 uh, the baby's height or weight or anything like that, or even birth time or date, by the way. Uh, we, are, we guess on these things um, so that we can celebrate them. Um, but we do still see some incredibly important features about this baby that has been born in a manger in Bethlehem unto the Virgin Mary. Now... We know, and I hope you truly believe it, we know that all children are, are a gift from the Lord. Um, all of them are, especially mine. <laughs> but the Bible does, it tells us that all children are a gift from the Lord. But we need to understand that this particular child that this birth announcement pertains to is in a whole other category of, of, of a gift from God, a blessing from God, categorically different kind of blessing in this child you say really well let's just think about it you know i know it may be uh, exciting when when we have our, our children born or our you know nephews and nieces or grandchildren born and that, that's really exciting but let me ask you this uh was there an angel when that child was born was there an angel that went around telling people hey this child is born that your nephew has been born, you know. Uh, no, that's, that's probably not the way it worked. You know, um, I, I, uh, when, when my ch children were born, there was no kid that, that, or no, no angel that went, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. For unto you has been born this day in the city of Chattanooga at Erlanger, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. No, it's, it's more something like, we welcome her home with thankfulness and joy. That, that is um, more, more how things go. So I'm telling you, categorically different. An angel, a messenger of the Lord, along with the glory of the Lord that shines down to tell them a Savior who is Christ the Lord has been born. And so um, last week, uh, we, we, when we began this series, and it's called Good News of Great Joy, we explored two, two reasons, two facets of why this was such good news and that, that should lead to such great joy. And we saw that, first, this is true news. Luke makes it plain. This is 
absolutely true. And we talked about it for a little while. You may remember this wasn't just true in the sense that like, yes, that is factually correct. No, this is true in that it is uh, something that, that changes us when we realize it. It's, we, we have these, this fact, yes, it is an actual historical fact, but it is a fact that brings security we talked about. There's a certain security in this truth. Although it is not safe, it is uh, security bringing. And because Luke had said that there, he said, I write these things that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And that word certainty is this, you're absolutely convinced. And this truth uh, is so deep in you that you live according to it. You live by it. You base your life on it. But we saw that it was not only true, but that it was also glorious news. Once again, an angel of the Lord is bringing this news. And once again, the glory of the Lord, which is the very blessed presence of God, shone around them. So clearly this was going to be true and glorious news. But I didn't actually go too deep into what the news was. I said that it's going to be true and it's going to be glorious news. You know, and I'm sure I, I gave some hints because I can't not say those things in a message. But this week, I want to dig in to what was the news. What, what was so special here? What is so special about this birth announcement that it took an angel of the Lord to bring it? What's so ground-shaking and life-altering about this birth that it should literally change absolutely everything about our lives and the way that we live it? So we are continuing on. This is good news of great joy. And this next reason I want to look at is number one, if you would like to write anything down. It is good news because it is saving news. And we're going to spend some time here. It is good news because it is saving news. I'll just read for you again verses 8 through 11. It says, And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. I'll pause there for a moment. And they were filled with great fear. Interesting. It's interesting that the first thing we're told about these shepherds, you know, about their response and about what's happening with them is that they are filled with great fear when this angel appears and when this glory of the Lord appears why are they filled with such great fear? I mean, it's not too complicated, but I think we actually need to dig a little deeper than we might normally. Well, there is a angel, a glorious angel standing in front of them, and there is this strange light of glory shining down around them. You know, maybe, maybe they had fear that, that themselves and their sheep would be, you know, uh, like chased down by this angel or, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe those other things are true, but I want to tell you what I see here. If we, if we peel back a little bit deeper as why they have this great fear. They weren't just a, a little bit um, nervous, why they had this great fear. I believe that the most logical and biblical reason is that these shepherds were feeling a very normal and very proper response to the manifest presence of God among them. Why? Because they are sinners. These men, I, I believe that they were um, even 
devout men. I, I do, just by the way that the angel talks to them and the way that they respond to this message. I believe that they are devout men, even though you know they were shepherds. And in general, um, shepherds at that time were very looked down upon because they couldn't keep the law uh, as well as they should. A shepherd can't take a Sabbath as it were, because the sheep don't, you can't like turn them off. There's no off switch. So you still got to watch them on the Sabbath. And you, you generally just, you can't, um, there's just all these other aspects of the law that they could not keep very well. And so they're, they're looked down upon, but it didn't mean that they couldn't trust God from their heart. But they were men that even though they, they knew about God and they maybe even uh, had a, a, a love for God and desire to follow him, they knew that they were sinners. And they knew, I mean, this, this was a common <clears throat> thought that the glory of the Lord, if, if God were to come among them, sinners that they were, that they would literally be incinerated. I mean, just think about it. You, you know these things from the Bible, that the way people respond, uh, the way sinful people, by the way, the way sinful people respond when uh, God appears. I say sinful not because there are some people who are sinful and some who aren't, but there was a time when there were not any sinful people in the world. Adam and Eve, they'd hang out with God. They'd walk with God. They'd talk with God. Things were good between them and God, this relationship. We can be in the presence of God. We can enjoy the presence of God. We can glorify this God. We can learn from this God. But then we know, Genesis 3, they sinned against God. And all of a sudden, this, this, this shame came upon them. It says they realized they were naked, sort of an outward uh, expression of their, their inward spiritual turmoil. And so they hear God coming in the garden, right? What do they do? Adam and Eve fled from the presence of God, and they hid from him. They were sinners at this point, and they did not want to be in the presence of God an almighty, holy God. Just other examples. The nation of Israel. This is uh, after the exodus from Egypt, but they're in the wilderness. It's that they, they, they trembled at the presence of God when they were wandering out there. Just listen to this. Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19. Exodus 20, verses 18 and 19 say, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking... The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do, not let, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. This is at Mount Sinai. This is God's presence comes down on the mountain in the form of this, this thundering uh, uh, cloud of, of light and flames. And the people are, are trembling and they say, we, we can't bear to hear what this God has to say to us. Lest we die, you talk to God and tell us what he says. Wow. You can think of Isaiah. These are just you know, common examples. Isaiah, when God appears to him, uh, Isaiah says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, Oh no, I wish I had have known that I would have seen him, because I would have closed my eyes and covered my face. I am undone. Woe is me, I have seen the Lord. 
and I am unclean. You can think of even the Apostle Peter. They, they're, they're out fishing all night, right? And they didn't catch anything. This guy on the shore says, hey, cast your net on the other side. They say, uh, the fish, it's, it's all water. Like, it's, it doesn't matter which side you, you fish off of. This may be new to you, sir. He says, do it. So Peter and his fellow fishermen, they, they throw the net on the other side. A full net of fish. The net is breaking. There are so many fish. And all of a sudden, Peter realizes this was no mere guy who didn't know about fishing. This was God. And this is what he says in Luke 5, 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. I, I can't stand in your presence and live. Depart from me. I, I think that these angels, when they're filled with this great fear, it, it wasn't just at the presence of this angel. It wasn't just this strange light. I think they recognized this is an angel of the Lord, it says there um, in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. I think they knew they were in the presence of the Lord, and I think all of a sudden the weight of their sin came to their eyes, to their mind, and they said, oh, no. You know why that is? Because their greatest problem was not uh, their sheep and maybe how they weren't doing well that year. Their greatest problem wasn't the fact that they were shepherds and they weren't looked very highly upon in society. Their greatest problem and your greatest problem and my greatest problem is the fact that we have sinned against an almighty, holy, perfect, and just God who will punish sin. It's a good response that they have, that they are filled with great fear. I am fearful, I really am, that we don't share the sentiment of these shepherds, that we don't share the sentiment of Israel even, that we don't share the sentiment of Isaiah and Peter, and we say, I'll get in God's presence, I don't care. Oh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. Do you fear the Lord do you have a, a reverence for his, his holiness, for his perfect justice? I think um, a, a helpful study for us to do would just be to dig in the Bible and say, God, help me to fear you. Help me to fear your greatness and your power. We can't stop there, by the way, but I'm just saying it, it would, it would uh, feed our souls, I believe, to have a bigger, uh, more pure and powerful image of God in our hearts. Our greatest problem and the problem of these uh, shepherds was that they were sinners. They were in a destitute situation. And same for you and I. That is our greatest problem. The wrath of God awaits us because of our sin. I can just show you real quick. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. Because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That was just three different passages from Romans. You are a sinner. The wages of sin is death. Not just a physical, but an eternal death. And that death will consist of the wrath of God that has been stored up for you being poured out. That is our greatest problem. That is the problem of these shepherds. We are sinners in need of a savior. 
uh, D.A. Carson put it like this. I, I appreciate it. He says, if God had perceived that our greatest need was ep- economic, he would have sent an, an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, then he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, then he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion and death, and he sent us a savior. Until you feel the weight of your sin, you will not feel the beauty of a Savior. And that's, that's the good news. We see that these uh, shepherds, right, at the end of that, that verse um, 9 says, And they were filled with great fear. But then the angel begins to speak to them. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, verse 10, Fear not. Fear not. I'm telling you, I don't want to push too much into this, but I can't imagine uh, what the, the relief they must have felt at that moment was. Oh no, God is here. The presence of God is here. Maybe it's my time for my wrath uh, to be poured out, or for God's wrath to be poured, on, poured out on me, rather. And then the angel says, instead of, hey, prepare to die, he says, fear not. That must have been a huge relief for them. So what was this reason that they could fear not? The angel says there, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. Finally, this is truly good news. Again, it doesn't say, For unto you is born this day an economist, because we want to help the economy. Cool, that's great. For unto you is born this day uh, you know, a political leader, because we're going to make politics better again. You're gonna, we're going to make Israel great again. Um, no. Finally, the best news ever, a Savior, a Savior. I truly hope uh, that we can grasp just a little bit today how massive and momentous this birth announcement was. But we have this. I, I ended at that word, a Savior, because that is the, the main point. This is, a, this is saving news. That's why it's good news. But I don't know uh, really how much time the shepherds had to think about these things, but... If they had time, they probably would have wondered uh, a few things. Okay, there's a Savior. But just think about this. This is great. Can, can it possibly be that a Savior was born to us this day? Wait a second. Born to us? So there, there's, there's a baby. There's a, there's a baby Savior, a little human baby just like us. You know, a, a baby that was born just like us. He's going to be our Savior How could a mere human child bring salvation from our sins that we so desperately need? There have been so many babies that have been born before him. Some have grown up to be great uh, adults and do great things, but none of them were able to save us from our sins. What's going to be different about this baby? We need a little more detail in this birth announcement, Mr. Angel. For unto you is born this day a Savior... But then he goes on to say, who is Christ the Lord? Christ is a a synonym uh, in in the Greek. It's a synonym for the word anointed. So when you read uh, that word Christ, you you can either think the word Messiah or anointed. But I think anointed helps carry the the meaning a little better. 
Because in, in their day, one of the things that they did, especially um, within Judaism, within these people who were supposed to uh, fear God and supposed to be living under God, is when they would be appointing someone to a, a high and important task, they would anoint them with oil, and that would be to signify God's hand in, in choosing that person for that task. It would be to, to say, God says that this person should do this task. That's what anointing was. And so, who is Christ the Lord? So, who is the anointed one? A Savior who is the anointed one of God. This is good news. Things are getting better. But, once again, how could a mere man born of a woman, anointed or not really, truly make them at, at peace with God? Really make them saved, you could say. How could a mere human do this? You say, well, what do you mean, Jeff? How, how could a mere human do this? Well, let's think about it. Anointed people were often prophets. Moses was a, a great prophet, one of the best prophets, uh, one of the greatest prophets Israel ever saw, and he, he was anointed by God, as it were, to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. He was uh, given the, the oracles, the message, messages uh, of God to bring to them. But how did, how did Moses do? He wasn't even allowed to enter into the promised land because of his faithlessness to God at, at a certain episode. And he led them into uh, what you could say an, an, an earthly promised land. He didn't actually get to lead them, but he led them to the, the shores of the Jordan, you know. Um, it was just an earthly promised land. Okay, so that's a human. He, he failed along the way, and he led them to something good, but not as great as it could be. What about priests? Priests were anointed by God. You can think about the whole priestly system under the Mosaic Law or the Sinai Covenant uh, that, that set them up um, to offer sacrifices to God, right? And the, the most important of those sacrifices being uh, the, the, the Day of Atonement, this, this time that they would sacrifice this sheep for the sake of the sins of the people. But what's bad about that with the priestly system is, well, they had to make, before they could even make that sacrifice for the sins of the people, they had to make sacrifices for their own sins. They too needed uh, atonement. They too needed this mediation, this animal to cover them, the blood of this animal to cover them before they could uh, even go through the process with the people. And we know, of course, that that sacrifice um, also had to uh, be, be done yearly. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That's, that's what this was. It had to be yearly. The sacrifice of these anointed priests was insufficient because they needed covering themselves and it had to be repeated yearly. Hebrews talks about that a good bit, the book of Hebrews. Another uh, group of people that were anointed were kings. You can think about King David. Wow. I mean, you want to talk about a king, especially following King Saul. He, he really <laughs> comes out shining um, and, you know, I know uh, even, we, we won't get into even the, the sins of David, which he did commit a great one. Um, anyways, a great group of sins. But he was anointed by God, 
specifically to be the one who would conquer the enemy surrounding them, right? Because they had come into the promised land, and you had uh, like the Philistines, and you had all these other uh, nations um, around them that, that were uh, wanting to invade this new Israel and subjugate this new Israel, at the very least to uh, taint or, or, or persuade them with other gods. And so God is uh, using Israel as his hand of, of uh, judgment on those uh, rebellious nations. And so he's sending David to take for them the promised land. And he does a great job. He does. He does an amazing job taking out these enemies. But there's one problem with that that we look at. Their greatest problem was not surrounding uh, uh, invaders. Their greatest enemy was not uh, the, the nations around them. Were they real? Yes, those were real issues. But they were not their deepest, greatest issues. Because once again, as we talked about with the shepherds, their greatest issue wasn't political. It wasn't even uh, military. Um, it, it was their sin. It was the sin of their own hearts. And David could not have victory in that area for them. David couldn't bring them that victory, could he? As, uh, as anointed as he was and as great of a king as he was, he couldn't deliver them from their sins. He couldn't bring them peace with God. He couldn't bring them what they really needed. He was anointed. Moses was anointed. David was, uh, what was it? The priestly system, the priests were anointed and David was anointed. But they were mere humans and it was not ever enough. The shepherds, again, I don't know if they had time to think through all this, but I am. Um, saying like, cool, the anointed one, the, the, the Messiah, the Christ. We've seen him before and it was never enough. So what's going to make the difference with this anointed Savior? He has the authority from God for salvation, but how can he possibly have the power for salvation? He's a human. But there we see again a Savior, and it goes on, who is Christ... The Lord. This is not just an anointed person. This is an anointed person who is the Lord. You know, I, I've debated on how deep to go into this whole Lord thing. Um, you know, we, 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 we know that this word Lord, um, even in our vernacular, for sure in our vernacular, when we use the word Lord, we are talking about God but I'll just tell you, I guess, this word kyrios, which is used for Lord, um, can sometimes mean king, sometimes mean master. Sometimes it's just a nice way of talking to people like sir. Excuse me, Lord. You know, like, excuse me, sir. Like, that's how they talk. Or it could even mean a revered husband. But it's important to know uh, a, a couple of things. Number one, um, at that time, the, the, the majority of people would have been reading a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. That makes sense? Like they'd taken the Hebrew Bible and they translated it into Greek. Why? Because that was the lingua franca, right? Everyone spoke Greek, so they, that, that's what they would have read. Every time the word Yahweh was used in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the highest name for God, this word kyrios was used. That's significant, right? That this is talking about Lord, God, nothing less than the, uh, the, the deepest and, and most sacred name of God is what kurios means. And then I would also say, you could 
type it in a, a word search thing, but if you look at in the New Testament, this word kyrios, it is used in some other ways, but the overwhelming majority of the time it is used to speak of God. And the context makes it clear in the overwhelming majority. So again, even if all we had was this verse, which we have the rest of the New Testament to tell us that Jesus was God, so I don't feel like I need to go too far with that, but I'm trying to show you that even from this verse, it is clear that this angel of the Lord is saying that this Lord isn't just a sir, he isn't just a, a master or a revered husband, he is Lord God Almighty, Yahweh, who has now taken on flesh. That's a little more information in this uh, birth announcement. Um, I'm glad he didn't tell us the weight. I will take that he is God before knowing that he weighed six pounds, five ounces, right? This is an amazing birth announcement. Our greatest problem is our sin. Literally, our, our enmity, our rebellion towards God and his rightful, just enmity and wrath towards us. And now we have this Savior clothing himself in flesh, God clothing himself in flesh as the anointed one to carry out a specific purpose, and that is to be this Savior. I've come to seek and to save the lost, Jesus would later say. This is beautiful stuff. I was even thinking, uh, I didn't put this in my notes, but uh, John 3, wrong direction. John 3, John 3, 16 and 17. I'll do uh, through 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's, that that's packs a lot more here, but that doesn't disinclude this uh, giving of him into humanity. You need to realize, by the way, that Jesus' suffering started the moment he took flesh upon himself. <laughs> he, he didn't feel pains and, uh, you know, hunger and, and thirst and until he took on flesh. His sufferings for our sake began there. Anyway, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Whereas what I really wanted to point out, though, is that he's sent not for condemnation, but for salvation. This is beautiful stuff. This Savior coming to the world. I don't want you to miss this. And so, again, I'm just lingering over this for a moment. We have, we talked about... Um, Moses was anointed by God as a prophet. He, he carried the authority of God to lead them into the promised land. Whereas Moses couldn't even enter the promised land with them, and he was only leading them to an earthly promised land, Jesus is the one who breaks in himself and leads us into an eternal, heavenly promised land. 
Whereas the priests were anointed to make sacrifices for sin, but they had to make sacrifices for themselves, and that sacrifice had to be repeated year after year, Jesus is the sacrifice. He needs no sacrifice made for him because he was perfect and holy. He had lived before God and before men perfect every moment of his life. And his sacrifice was so perfect that it did not need to be made yearly. It was made once for all. Once for all, this sacrifice, this covering for our sins. Let me tell you what this sacrifice was. Sometimes we think um, Jesus died for sin. No, Jesus didn't just die for sin. He died for your sins. Literally, your sins, the wrath that you deserve for your sins, were placed upon Jesus. Not just sins in general, real sins, real wrath deserved for yours and my sin on Jesus that's what it was for him to be this sacrifice. He was the great high priest. He was also the lamb who was slain. Beautiful. And David, whereas he uh, was victorious over earthly enemies, right? But those enemies would uh, later build back up and encroach back in. And you look at it in, in the bigger picture those weren't even their greatest enemies their their greatest enemies were their own sinful hearts so david did good things but jesus he has the victory once and for all those enemies don't grow back up and, and reattack for our greatest or against our greatest enemy namely sin and death I said greatest enemy. So I guess enemies, sin and death, our separation from God. Jesus really won the victory. Think about this. On the cross, Jesus said these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You need to know that at that moment, he's not just chanting some mantra. He is feeling the wrath of God in his spirit at that moment. But then what does he say? To Telestai, it is finished. Wrath absorbed, victory complete. Jesus was victorious over the punishment for our sins. Then we know Jesus did truly physically die. He was laid in a tomb, but not for long. On the third day, he rose from the dead, and he was victorious over death. And the Bible tells us over and again, he was merely the first fruits of, of this harvest. Well, who else is going to be the harvest? You and me. And I would say this even on this, this resurrection life that is, there will one day be a resurrection. We will have resurrected bodies just like Jesus Christ. But that's not always the point. I could point you to several texts. Jesus' resurrection life is something that now lives in us today. This, this power, this resurrection life is something that can be in us today. Jesus has defeated not only physical death, resurrection bodies, but he has defeated spiritual death. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive together with Christ. That's what that's talking about. Jesus' resurrection life living in us, victory over sin, the punishment for sin, and victory over death, both physical 
and spiritual. David did not pull that off. I'm not bashing David today. Um, I'm just saying Moses and the priests and David, they were all anointed of God, but they were not God. Jesus was able to pick up where they left off. Jesus was able to say, hey, you're a picture of what I'm coming to do. I'm going to be the actuality. You guys are, are showing the plan of God. I am the plan of God. You're showing the way. I am the way. That is what Jesus did. This Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is good news. This is good news. Man, son, um, not Sunday. Um, Christmas is Wednesday. That morning we should just be filled with a Savior. God Almighty, God the Son, is sent by God the Father, empowered by God the Spirit, to come and take on flesh, to suffer for my sake, to live a perfect life for my sake, so that I might have life. He's going to experience suffering so that I will have eternal bliss. He's going to experience death so that I'll have eternal life. This should blow us away. This should absolutely blow us away. This is good news of great joy. The angel was not exaggerating if we understand it rightly. This is good news of great joy. I'm going to give you just a couple more little points here. Because this good news of great joy about a Savior is only good news if you can take part in that salvation, right? What, what good is it if there's a Savior but you get left behind? What good is it to, to be, to, for a fireman to break into a building and save a bunch of people if you're still stuck in a room? This is good news, number two, because it is universal news. Hang on with me. I know that that's kind of a no-no term because we have the idea of universalism that everyone is just, you know, uh, saved by default, which is absolutely not true. But what I mean here is this is universally available salvation, universally available good news. The angel said to them, sorry, this is verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is for everyone. Everyone needs to hear this good news. Everyone uh, has this available to them to take part in this salvation. This is all people. That means that all people can, like the angels, fear not when they think about their sin and God's wrath toward them. I don't know about you, but I remember the days when God was really grabbing a hold of my heart and the weight of my sin had come upon me. The, 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 my transgressions were ever before my eyes. All the ways that I had sinned. How deserving of God's wrath I was. But then I remember just when, when I first started to really understand the gospel. What a humongous relief. What a humongous joy it was for me. All people can, can have that. All people can be made right with God. Able to glorify and enjoy God once again. All people can view this as good news of great joy. I've got kind of a side note here. Mm, nope, skipping it. I was just going to tell you, this is, this, is, this is a fulfilling of the Abrahamic covenant, right? Genesis 12, uh, who is it, 12, 3. 
Genesis 12, 3, if I can get there. It says this. This is what God says to uh, our Abraham. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this will be for all people, the angel says here. This is nothing less than a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant made all those years ago, then repeated to Isaac, repeated to Jacob. This is for all people. This is nothing new in God's mind that it's more than just uh, Israel. But we need to understand this. Uh, I told you, like, you know, hold on with me on the universal thing. We say, well, this is good news for all people, universally available for all people, but aren't there a lot of people who don't know this good news, haven't accepted this good news? Well, here's point number three. It's not only universal, but it is individual good news. It is individual good news. There's a couple things we need to take note of in this text. First, I would say there's just something distinct about these shepherds. Something blessed about them. Something that that shows God's grace towards them as individuals. Notice all the personal pronouns. You know, things like you. uh, Just notice the personal uh, pronouns there in verses 10 and 12. 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, all the people. For unto you is born this day. Isn't that interesting? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Hang on with me for a second here. This angel of the Lord has come to these marginal, no name, we literally don't know their names, uh, shepherds. And he's saying, unto you is born this day. You will find a baby wrapped in lying in a manger. This is incredible news because it, it intersected with them. It impacted them as individuals. You say, well, I've never had an angel appear to me. You, I, you may have your phone in your hand, but do you have a Bible in your hands? The messenger of the Lord. I will take this over an angel any day because it is packed beginning to end with the oracles of God, not just one little message from an angel. If you know what I'm even talking about when I say a Bible, you have uh, an advantage over a huge majority of the world. Do you realize that? As an individual, you were born or maybe moved into by God's grace, born into America, where, where we print these Bibles and we distribute these Bibles. We have ministries all over the place. I was driving on Friday, and it hit me like it never had before. You always hear, oh, a church at every corner. I was driving around Hickson, and there really is a church at every corner. I just see these, these steeples, you know, uh, across the, the sky. That, you know, the, the landscape, and, and I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. I don't, it doesn't matter where you go. Hickson, East Brainerd, Ringgold, there are churches literally everywhere. You could walk into them at least on Sunday, probably Wednesday night or other times, and any time you could go in there and hear the gospel. And we hope that those churches also represent groups of people who are going out into their communities and they're sharing this good news of great joy. Are you kidding me? We don't need an angel. 
We have had this good news that is universally available to be accepted. We have had it come to us in so many different ways. You turn on your radio, you turn on your TV, you go on your computer. We have the gospel handed to us, spoon-fed to us. This is individually good news if you have heard about this Savior Jesus. There are people in this world who have not. We should pity them. We should not say, well, I'm just better. That's why I've heard the gospel. Are you kidding me? Did you make yourself born in the United States? Did you make yourself born probably into a Christian family who shared the gospel with you since you were a little kid? This is God's grace in your life that you have heard this gospel that I'm talking about of Jesus Christ. But we know, and this is incredibly important, we know that, that just hearing is not enough. Listen to what the angels say, the heavenly hosts say. Um, we'll read verses 13 and 14. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. On earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now I know I say that and it might even sound odd to you because we might have grown up hearing or memorizing peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But I'll tell you that is an incorrect translation. You look at every translation that I know of, every modern translation that has been updated says this here, peace on, uh, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you go to a Greek Bible, that's, that's what you'll see. You will not see peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And what's so interesting is what that other translation, mistranslation says, peace on earth and goodwill towards men, is almost a universalistic statement, isn't it? This is goodwill towards everyone. No, that is the opposite of what it actually says. There is only some people who will have this peace, this peace with God that we so desperately need. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. That is who will have peace. The ones that God is pleased with. You say, well, who is that? What, what makes a person uh, be, be, be pleasant in God's eyes? What makes, a person, or what makes God pleased with us? And I just want to run through this because I, I think we just need to hear it. Well, do we bribe God? Do we say, oh, well, uh, God, I'll, I'll tithe a lot. I tithe a lot. You know, I give to my church. I give to the poor. Maybe that will make God pleased with me. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. You cannot bribe God. By the way, it always cracks me up when people say, well, if I win, like, the lottery or whatever, I'll, I'll tithe off it. I bet God is really impressed, and like he's like, whoa, now maybe I should make that person win. We're crazy. Um, listen to this, um, Psalms 59 through 12. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. I don't want your dad, God's saying, uh, for these wicked people. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all mine. I know all the birds of the, of the hills and all, all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. You're going to give me something to make me pleased with you? It's all mine anyways. What about maybe I'll serve God? It's all God's possessions, but he needs work done for him, right? 
Maybe I'll serve God and he'll be pleased with me. Acts 17, 24, 25. The, the, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You think you need God, God needs you to serve him? He puts breath in your lungs. He makes your heart beat. Are you making your heart beat right now? God does that. You think he needs your service? Even you are God's legal possession, you could say. Psalms 24.1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. You are God's. You're not putting God's uh, arm behind his back and saying, Come on, you're going you're gonna to give me this. You're going to uh, be pleased with me. What about good works? I mean, we, we know these things, but you know, Paul says in Philippians 3, starting in the middle of verse 4, he says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, that's confidence in good works that, to, to please God. If anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. He says loss. This is actually all those good works that were done self-righteously. That he thought brought him credit. These good works that he thought were bringing him credit. Were actually lost. They were working against him. Because he was self-reliant. There is only one way friends. That you can experience peace with God. Salvation in Jesus Christ. There's only one way you can be one of those with whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. This, this is so important, but we, we must remember it. There's only one way to have this peace. Romans 5.1, I think, is a very uh, instructive here. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified... By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Since you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the whole message I've just preached to you. This is the whole message. If you have been justified, if you've been made right before God by faith, your sins erased under Jesus' blood... Uh, Jesus' righteousness placed upon you, his good, perfect life placed upon you, if you've been justified by faith, then we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did the, the verse say? And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. You want God to be pleased with you? Then trust that you can do nothing to earn his favor, but fall back on the arms of Jesus, fall back on the work of Jesus, fall back on Christmas that led to Easter, that, that this is all you can do. This is all that pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, Hebrews says. Faith is what pleases God. Trust in Christ Jesus. Trust in God. It is only by believing on Jesus Christ that any of us can share in this salvation. It is only by faith in Jesus Christ that this good news is actual good news for us. Well, that story about Jesus uh, starts right here at Christmas. 
that God the Son came in, broke into this world on a cosmic rescue mission for sinners, rebels like you and me. This is incredible. We look at all that Jesus did, perfect life, death on the cross, bearing our sin, rising from the grave. We believe that. We, we, we confess those things, or sorry, we believe those things in our heart, and we confess them with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we will be saved. That's what Romans tells us. You will be justified, made right with God by faith, and have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, as Romans 5.1 says. This is infinitely good news. This is something worthy of an angelic birth announcement. This is something worth believing, living for, and dying for. Like I told you, this is not just true news. This is glorious news. This should be the treasure of our eyes. This is good news of great joy. There are some of you in this room who have never accepted this good news. Like those shepherds, God has uh, revealed to you what's happened, but you didn't get up and go. You didn't say, I want to go see this thing that the Lord has told us about. You didn't you say, I'm good. I, I don't want a Savior because I don't want a Lord is most likely the case. I want to be Lord. I'm telling you today, being Lord of your own life is a dead-end road, but Jesus is Lord of your life is life abundantly it is this is this is what we're made for receive this good news by faith in jesus christ you can do that today you don't have to be ashamed that you hadn't done it before god god trust me that is not your worst sin <laughs> like just trust in god you can talk to me you can talk to someone else just say hey what do i need to do how what does this look like to trust in god you can do that and now friends that let's say you have accepted this gift I can tell you that if you continue to dig into this message, this good news of great joy, you, you meditate on it, you think about it, you ruminate on it, you say, God, what do I do about this? God, change me by this. If you do that, your life will be, continue to be filled with peace, and God will continue to transform you. It says, peace among those with whom he is pleased. But that's actually something that can, can grow in our lives. Listen to this, Romans 15, 13. This is speaking to Christians. Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. We need to believe this. We, we, may, may, this is to Christians. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You can grow in this. How? In believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Don't stop digging into these things just because you know about them. Dig in. Believe deeper. See more beauty there, and you will be filled with more joy and more peace, and you'll be abounding in hope. Too many of us receive the gift, but we don't take it out of the package we don't see how beautiful it really is, how, how, how it can change every single aspect of our lives. But you can do that today. You can say, I want this good news of great joy to not just be 
a surface level thing for me. I want it to permeate my entire life. And we do that by, by digging in, by, by praying to God, by looking for God's glory in God's word about his son. Let's pray. And it is, it is my true and deep prayer that, that this Christmas is different for you. Let's pray.